You deserve a lover who never gets tired of studying your expressions, who listens when you sing, who takes away the lies and brings you hope, coffee, and poetry. Welcome to AMI Audiobook Review, the weekly podcast where we chat all things audiobooks. I'm your host, Ramia Amuthan, and I'm joined by our technical producer, Nisreen Abdel-Majid. The quote of the week was from a book by Pamela Anderson, and she was paraphrasing. This is a little bit of a uh, little bit of a stretch, but she was paraphrasing Frida Kahlo's "You Deserve a Lover," and Pamela does this in the book "Lust for Love: Rekindling Intimacy and Passion in Your Relationship," which is by Pamela Anderson and Rabbi Shmuley Botique. And we're going to talk more about this later on with our contributor on the show. But wanted to bring it up because I know it's a little past Valentine's Day and really we are stretching it because it's the end of the month. But we're going to talk romance. So why not indulge the romance fully with the quote of the day? Now let's go to the CELA homepage. We visit the Center for Equitable Library Access by going to celalibrary.ca. And we check out the featured titles that they have at the top of the homepage. Into the Broken Lands by Tanya Huff is the first book up there. This is a fantasy title. Oh, look at that. We're talking fantasy later today, too. Spare by the Duke of Sussex, which is Prince Harry, and that is a memoir. And the final featured title is Poster Girl by Veronica Roth. And this is a sci-fi title for anyone who's interested in that. Now, we must talk about something that has come up on our radar. Nisreen, you have a story for us that's trending. Yes, I do. So, Harry Potter author J.K. Rowling has spoken about the abuse she suffered at the hands of her former husband, saying he tried to lock away the unpublished manuscript of the series' first book to stop her from leaving him. According to Book Browse, speaking on the Witch Trials of J.K. Rowling, a podcast series released on Tuesday, the author described her relationship with, with George Arantes as violent and controlling, saying she had to sneak pages of the work away in small batches to photocopy in case he burned them. So after becoming increasingly determined to leave him, she would secretly take a few pages of the manuscript into work every day, just a few pages so that he wouldn't realize anything was missing or he wouldn't be suspicious and photocopy it. So that is wild, Remya. I mean, think about it. The reputation that J.K. Rowling has for writing these books and doing it independently and just from top to bottom pouring out her soul into the series and then to find out this piece of information that she was going through the abuse of um her ex-husband while getting into not just like while writing this book but while getting into the headspace of mm -hmm. creating this series inventing harry potter yeah. and having to compartmentalize the writing because i've heard you know numerous interviews of jk rowling talking about what it's like uh what it was like for her to start these this book right what it was like to be on those train rides go to the cafes and just bring harry potter into this world and this piece of information nisreen kind of like i don't know if taints it is the word but it puts a new light on it on the experience mm -hmm. for her it's just wild in terms of 
he actually held the pages hostage just to just yeah. threatening her mm-hmm. if you leave me i will burn these pages and it is i never realized what was behind the scenes and i don't think any of the fans realized mm-hmm. how much this is of new. yeah this is brand new i mean um she expressed all of this in the podcast the other day and that's that's what was revealed and i, I think all the fans were like damn you know this this all happened while harry potter came to life yeah um which makes it much more interesting and i i was speechless when i read this article i was like remya has to know mm-hmm. i mean there's so much respect like first of all you already have so much respect for uh, someone uh, a writer like jk rowling no matter what else you will say aside from the art but then there's so much admiration and respect and uh just I don't know feelings and emotions around knowing that people had to go through some writers and some artists um, mm-hmm. individuals had to go through so much to just get their art out and I mean this blew up like Harry Potter blew up into an international sensation um, but when she was writing that first book she was just trying to write yeah. she didn't know yeah, and I think he slowly realized how much the manuscript meant to her. And yeah, that's why it became a big threat. Mm-hmm. Well, the, that's going to take a while to digest, Ness. Thanks for bringing it up. And on this episode of AMI Audiobook Review, we're going to talk more about authors, but a little more uh, catered to the romance, the fantasy, and the mystery titles with Amir Khan. This is AMI Audiobook Review. listening to AMI Audiobook Review, the weekly podcast where we chat all things audiobooks with your host, Ramia Amudin. Now let's get into audiobooks with Amir Khan. Amir is an audiobook worm, as we refer to him here on the show, and he comes to us every month with his highs and lows of reading for the month, and the good, the bad, the ugly, and the learnings are all bound to come out. Amir, today's theme is romance, fantasy, and mystery, and that's because these are the three that we've picked for the month. So where do you want to start? Because it's February. Should we start with romance? Absolutely. That's exactly where I wanted to start. Uh, And we can start with um, a book that has a sort of a duo of co-authors, which aren't exactly homogeneous. So the book is actually authored by Pamela Anderson and Rabbi Shmuley. Um, when it's obviously pause what a pair exactly so that was the first thing that caught my eye Uh, as some of you may know Pamela Anderson recently published her own autobiography Uh, I took a look at it on Sila but it's not human narrated so I I took a look at some of the other titles and this one really caught my eye Mm -hmm. um, because again that the pairing is just so different it's uh, you know a playboy playmate and a Jewish rabbi writing a book together and the book is, is actually has a very long title. Um, I think for it, for uh, the short form, most people just call it Lust for Love. Uh, the full title is Lust for Love, a Rekindling Intimacy and Passion in Your Relationship. So it, it's a longer title, but I think it's, it's pretty accurate. Um, I didn't know exactly what to expect with this book. And the preface um, is interesting. And the whole book is actually interesting because each section is called out as to who is writing that section. So even the preface has has uh, both Pamela Anderson and um, Rabbi Shmuley's uh, thoughts and uh, mm. 
the the quote that caught me that sort of sets the tone for the whole book is um, from Pamela's side, which says, uh, when two people from radically different backgrounds wholeheartedly agree on something, listen closely because what they have to say just might be important. Mm. And it's it's such a great line. Uh, it's it's so deep and it's so sort of honest um, that it, it it just got me from there and I kept going. Right. And the book is very multi-layered. Um, to sum it up in sort of one or two lines, the book is sort of makes a case for monogamy and how to be more intimate with your partner um, in your relationship. Um, I don't think this is strictly for couples. Uh, I'm single and, and I got a lot out of this book. And um, last year, we, we and a couple of years ago, during Amr's Evening Book Club, we have looked at similar books in terms of, you know, Gary Chapman's Five Love Languages or uh, Modern Romance by Aziz Ansari. Um, and this book Those goes good books too. Yeah, but this on one is so side. much better. So yeah, yeah. In so what way? out of the three, it, it goes a lot deeper. Um, I'm a sucker for poetry, and there's quite a bit in this particular book. Um, there's a lot of quotes. Um, you know, modern romance from Aziz Ansari's side had a lot of facts and figures, and about how sort of romance has changed throughout time. Um, and there's a lot of that in this book too. But it's just done in such a way that it just keeps you captivated. Um, from both um, the voices of Pamela Anderson and Rabbi Shmuley. So, and is there a lot of psychology? Because when I think of modern romance in five love languages, the the first thing I think of is the romance psychology and a breakdown of concepts to kind of help you along in your relationship uh, and intimacy. Is that still a big part of this? Yes, it, okay. it is. Um, but without sort of bogging you down with terms that you don't understand. It's, it's a very practical look at things about why certain people do certain things and, and why some people may do things subconsciously and what makes people happy in general. Um, there's a lot of talk about basically things being sort of instant gratification um, in, in modern times versus not and, and how to combat that. Um, I, you know, I'm not much of a celebrity watcher, so I didn't know that Pamela Anderson actually has two sons. Um, which which are also referenced in the book in terms of how she wanted to raise raise her sons. And it brings together another lens too with, with a lot of these celebrity books that have been coming out in terms of autobiographies is that the person that you see on screen may not be the person um, that is actually, you know, uh, maybe a completely different person than the person in real life. Most often, yeah. And you see a great example of, of that in this particular book. It's a very articulate book. Um, much more so than than uh, than either of the two other ones I uh, I referenced. Um, much deeper in terms of literary references, but it's not just about quoting poetry and things. They actually go to different uh, cultures as well, which I thought was really great. Um, there, there's a story of a you know a Dakota's uh, First Nations story in there, and all sorts of other sort of borrowing things from different cultures and different places uh, throughout uh, human history, which I found was, was fascinating. All right. Well, I mean, if people are still, uh, even though it's post Valentine's day, if people are still in the vibe for it, I'd say, check it out. And especially if you were part of our book club and read the other two books, <laughs> five love languages and modern romance, which you made a direct comparison with. All right. I mean, we're moving to fantasy now. We're moving to fantasy. This is the Ember in the Ashes series by Sabah Tahir. Uh, Sabah Tahir is relatively famous in the sci-fi fantasy world. Uh, I had never picked up a book from her before, so I wanted to do that. And I was hooked after the first book. There's a lot of 
um, sort of historical fiction pieces to, to her stories. There's a lot of storytelling in her stories. There's a lot of sort of different bits and bobs of, of different genres that she really does roll together well. Um, the stories for these particular books are set in a sort of Rome-like um, historical fiction in terms of, you know, that time period of, you know, horses and swords and things. And, mm. you know, there's this sort of empire, like the Roman Empire, but um, the central character is is a man who does not want to have anything to do with this particular um, empire, even though he's been raised to be a soldier and finds himself competing to be the emperor. So you have all these sort of dualities going on from the start where you know he's actually thinking about deserting and ends up competing to be emperor which is you know obviously polar opposites of, of things the other thing Sabatahir does really really well is borrow different things from different cultures and sort of roll it into the storyline so she uses some languages uh borrowing from arabic and from from urdu or hindi and, and root words and things and if you're clever enough you can spot them the cultural references really speak volumes about how the storytelling goes so there's different people like in like gypsy style with 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 caravans and they call them tribal people and you have you know all the culture and and those pieces that go with it um the first two books in my opinion are really great and, and sort of fantasy light um the last two books really get into uh, much more sort of uh, fantasy related uh, sort of supernatural type of themes so um, whichever end of the also scale. Also in the same world. Like yeah, this is a it is. It is a okay. series. And, you know, how, how long are the books? They vary. Uh, I think the last one is the longest. Um, but the first two are, are manageable, I think, uh, in and around 10 hours, if I, if I remember right. And the first book is exclusively in the school where the main character has been, has been trained and is about to graduate. I always find that um, with fantasy, there is a significant level of investment. Were you ready for the investment when you went in? I don't think this this book really needs all that much. There's not, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not one of those fantasy books where you have to keep track of the magic and keep track of what's going on in the world and you know all of these different bits and bobs that the that the author has introduced. Um, she does a really good job of grounding things in reality and slowly sort of letting you know where the supernatural mm. starts to creep in um so there's not a lot of you know like okay i need to you know clear my mind and, and get ready to absorb lots of things because i don't you know there's going to be a whole bunch of things thrown at me you really don't get that sense with her um with her book uh especially for the first two but uh, it, it's a fun ride it's, it's one of those action adventure stories where you know you don't know what's going to happen next and you have uh the uh other main character who is a girl who is who's looking for her brother and ends up at the same school i won't give too much away but you have all these sort of pieces and you're always curious about what's going to happen to these characters and uh, a whole lot does happen to them um so were you drawn by the characters by the protagonist yeah i mean it's the whole package with with this particular series right you have your 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 amazing characters which are grounded in reality uh you have an amazing sort of background set piece in terms of the world that sabatir creates then you have these cultural pieces you have great bad guys which <laughs> you become invested in seeing um you know go down and, and you're hoping they go down and you have this whole structure that she puts together where you're like okay well how is the world going to change because obviously there's people here who want mm -hmm. to change it mm -hmm. i'm always um interested and in, and in, it makes me uh, curious to know how 
people dive into their fantasy writing because sometimes it's you know entire world building just pulling threads out of thin air and other times as you're mentioning with this book um there's a lot of soaking into what already exists or maybe has existed at a particular time so uh the comparisons between the roman empire and everything else culturally is kind of interesting so i'm not i'm curious to know you know who would be interested in fantasy like this versus no i need it to be like deeply fantasy yeah i i think this this almost caters to almost everyone i mean a while back in the um in the, in the book club you read a book called the emperor's soul uh and that's technically sci-fi fantasy to some degree but again i, I don't think it requires a huge appetite for sci-fi or fantasy to enjoy it I think these two books are are relatively the same. I mean, there's a serious edge to it to, to some degree, um, mm-hmm. but I, I think most readers, I mean, again, you know, give it give it a try. And if you're not liking in the first two chapters, you're probably not going to get into it after right. that. Um, but but back to your previous point, I mean, yeah, it's always fascinated me how imagination works for for authors in terms of writing their their fantasy. I mean, Stephen King's Tower series comes up with sort of this this whole structure of you know almost like a royalty type of environment but the people are wearing jeans and are gunslingers and you're like well that's an interesting mix um mm-hmm. yeah that's uh you know that goes with the territory with being an author i suppose it does and what you know versus what you are willing to imagine and sometimes all that kind of blends together and sometimes it doesn't so uh it is it's just a lot of fascinating questions to ask the people who write right now moving to the last portion which is one of your favorite authors i believe it is uh michael connelly the harry bosch series which i actually spoke to the last time i was on the show but yes i I want to take a different spin on it just because i'm over a dozen books in now uh of this particular series and i just found it really fascinating i wanted to share with the with the audience that you know, it's not just about the uh, the authors and their imagination. The production value and the way they actually produce these books can can have a really profound effect on on the reader. And we've talked a bit before about, and we've had had people on the show talk about, you know, different human narrators and how they can make a difference on on, on an audio book. But uh, in this particular series, I found it really fascinating that it wasn't just the human narrators, but uh, the actual production pieces too. So there were some books that I read which actually had theme music, almost like a TV show, between the the chapters of the book. Um, and you know, some people might find it somewhat distracting. Um, some people might find it a little cheap. But others people might really enjoy it. So you know, that sort of struck me with with that particular copy. Another book I read had a sort of uh, inscription at the beginning from the the human narrator that said that you know. He was human narrating the book because the usual human narrator was not available. And I I thought that was kind of fascinating. I'm like, he's almost apologizing for doing the human narration because the other guy is not available. So um, I honestly didn't really see a difference between the the two human narrators. I think they were both fantastic. But it it was just one of those things that that caught me off guard when I was reading the book. And most recently... I, this is this one was really interesting, which I haven't come across before, which is that the main character, Harry Bosch, in the books is a big fan of jazz. And, you know, he plays various um, jazz artists on, on his record player, Art Pepper, and, and some of the more classic uh, jazz musicians. Um, but one of the people he, he listens to is Frank Morgan, who is actually alive and or alive at the time of the of the books. And the one of the books that has been authored 
he actually put hit Frank Morgan as part of the soundtrack or theme of the book. So he's a saxophone artist and there's a little bit of saxophone before and after every chapter. So that was that was a really unique sort of way to produce an audiobook where you have a character who really enjoys Frank Morgan and you have Frank Morgan actually providing the the track for it. I find myself asking this question when I listen to audiobooks or just any kind of production to be honest this does not uh, stop at audiobooks to say you know is this meaningful right like is this piece of uh, creativity helping the listener in whatever way is it making that impact on the listener and I know that so much of this is left for interpretation Um, but as a bit of an audio geek I often wonder and especially if it doesn't work for me it it doesn't mean that it doesn't work for somebody else but to think like how is this what is the layer that this is adding to the production and I'm curious about your take on these little bits of I don't know color in this production yeah I, I like to I like to take them in stride but at the same time I'm always curious about who makes those types of decisions right um in in terms of I've read audiobooks where the only sort of quote-unquote sound effect is when the person's on the phone. So when the character in the book is on the phone, it sounds mm-hmm. like they're on the phone. It has a sort of tinny quality with the with the sort of static quality to it. And I'm like, well, why did they choose that one effect for the entire mm-hmm. book? Mm-hmm. I, I don't get it. Um, another Harry Bosch book that I read actually had a really interesting one, which I haven't seen before in any other book yet, which was when the main character is actually reading a letter and this is something I've seen done in TV, but never in, in an audiobook where, you know, you have that sort of echoey quality. So you can tell the difference between the main character reading the letter yes. in their head yep. versus out loud. Um, there's probably some technical <laughs> term for that, which I don't know, but uh, I found that really cool. I was, uh, you know, I was smiling when I saw that. I'm like, oh. Because there is like the translation neat. of reading visually to reading audio right listening to audio and sometimes that translation is like how do i how can we make it so that people know that there's a difference of uh, thought like internal thought versus uh external dialogue and that's always interesting to me when it's done production or is it better for people when it's done as just a performance aspect right it's so interesting because now as we move into higher production quality and just more and more being able to be done um, does it actually make a difference in the way that we hear the book? Yeah, and it also makes me curious about books I, I've I've read as a, when when I was cited versus what the audiobook might contain now. Um, the book right. that comes to mind for me right now is Patriot Games by Tom Clancy, and I remember reading that book in in high school, and there's a scene where a grenade goes off, and the way they that they've written it in the pages is that it's basically you know four lines of blank space with the word boom in like capital letters and bolded which is odd for a book Mm -hmm. you you typically don't see that visually um so i'm really curious how that would be done in an audio format or if anything was done at all yeah maybe i'm just a purist in some ways like i love my audio dramas i love the uh the production value but with audiobooks i'm always much more impressed by the the narrator and by what the narrator is able to offer me and just keep it in that realm um, versus a lot of the extra stuff. Now, however, I have enjoyed, you know, duo narration and uh, multiple narrators on projects. But I think as a as a 
just a satisfaction thing. I love it when a narrator can offer me the the book like storytelling. Yeah, and I think it's a fine line. I mean, you know, there's there's certain things and certain ways authors have have written things and I'm always sort of thinking about that in the back of my head when, you know, there's some mm. some lines in the in the book that says, Oh, the person was stuttering and you know, the human narrator actually stutters first. So exactly. it's it's almost repetitive, but at yep. the same time you're like, Yeah, it just wouldn't be the same if they didn't stutter. So <laughs> If we're right. They, exactly. They take you there. <laughs> That's so funny, because uh, I'm sure if they didn't stutter, we'd be like, but why didn't you make that choice? Oh, man. See, these are things we can follow up with our Know Your Narrators segment. Uh, Sarah Hill is highlighting our narrators. Amr, so cool. Uh, any final thoughts? We're wrapping up here. Uh, I just wanted to say, going back to Lust for Love by Pam Anderson and Rabbi Shmuley, uh, it was an interesting choice for the human narration, uh, because it's not them actually human narrating the book. Um, but there is a male and female voice for the human narration, which both do a f- tremendous job of, of narrating the book, uh, which I did want to point out. Okay. Okay, great. So they're not self-narrating. <clears throat> okay, got it. Thank you. Appreciate all of this. Um, as you mentioned last month, we're going to try to keep it to three things, and we did. So that's always fun. Uh, we will chat with you next month. Sounds great. Looking forward to it. Amir Khan joining us on the last episode of the month. And remember that we do have the Kelly and Rumia book club uh, that falls on the same day and same night as the Amir Evening Book Club on the last Tuesday of the month. And the book for this month is I'm Glad My Mom Died by Jeanette McCurdy and recommended to us by our very own Nisreen Abdel-Majid. We'll uh, discuss that on Kelly and Ramia next week. And next week on this show, we have our SILA talk with Center for Equitable Library Access. Karen McKay and Teresa Power will be joining us then. And until next time, happy audiobook listening. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.